Welcome to Kindred, hosted by me, Kate, and my sister, Jen. In this podcast, we explore our human relationship to the natural world. In connecting to this planet, we also connect to understanding, compassion, and empathy. How can we see ourselves as not separate or above animals in nature, but a critical and integrated part of an active ecosystem? Through conversations with animal advocates, scientists, conservationists, and many others, we look to inspire a new awareness of how and why we connect to animals in nature in order to repair and restore our relationship to the natural world. Hey everyone and welcome back to Kindred. How are you, Jenny? You look like you're bundled. I'm under a blanket. Yeah, I am. It's a little chilly today, a little breezy, and yeah, needed the vest on top of everything today. We had a little bit of snow, though. I know we don't usually like to talk about the weather because it sort of dates these things, but it was... You had it today? We had a bunch of like like golf ball-sized snow flurries because it was raining like crazy, and then it turned to snow. The the temperature dropped, so... So weird. uh, It's so funny how different your weather is. I know. We had no rain today. I always feel so bad for like the deer that get soaking wet and then it gets really cold, but it's all. I thought about that for the squirrels too. Just I like, know. Knit them sweaters, Jenny. You're a good knitter. They don't know how to wear sweaters. <laughs> they don't need sweaters. Um, so yes, I just grabbed a blanket and Jenny, I would like to invite you to possibly grab a blanket or a hot cup of tea or a fresh bev or maybe for all you listening start your cooking, get in the car and drive, whatever you do when you are ready to settle into an amazing story of an incredible journey. Um, yes. I feel like I've never really heard a story and experience told with such depth and insight. Um, so I urge you to take a little time um, uh, and some maybe quiet time for this for this episode. It's really beautiful. Um, so today we are speaking with Melanie Vogel, the first woman to walk all three oceans in Canada via the Trans Canada Trail. It's the longest recreational trail in the world. Um, so she walked from the Atlantic Ocean all the way across up to the Arctic Ocean, and then down and over to the Pacific ocean can you can you imagine what was it how many miles five thousand and something oh no i think it was fifteen thousand miles she says how long it is um 25 no 28 sorry twenty-eight thousand kilometers is how long the trail can be and she did she did that so yeah it's hard to grasp (laughs) <laughs> the length and the enormity, but she we, we'll get to that. She tells us all about it. So um, Melanie's story is one of unexpected connections, harrowing experiences, brutal weather, stunning beauty, uh, finding a soulmate, finding herself, and mm-hmm. low and emerging awareness of what it is to be human. Um, we were spellbound, spellbound by her account of shedding with every step the fear and anxiety and control we can hold in our everyday lives and emerging more herself than she had ever felt before. Um, And just wait 
to hear about who she meets on the trail, another layer in the story of a beautiful, unexpected connection. My favorite meet cute of all time. <laughs> um, but before we head to Canada, my usual PSA, please subscribe to Kindred Podcast. And if you're not sure about subscribing, we offer a free week, which I would definitely take advantage of that. It's brilliant. And you can also, um, via our website, buy me a coffee, which is another uh, one-time donation way to support us. And um, please also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Kindred Pod. And thank you so much for everyone's support. Um, but back to the the interview with Mel, we're so honored to have spent time with her. And it felt like we were there with her sitting around the campfire um, under a canopy of stars, steeping in her epic journey across the beautiful landscape of Canada. Um, and we think you'll feel the same. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, I would say definitely please share this episode. I think you're gonna I think you're gonna love it. And um, again, we're just so grateful for for her for for Melanie Vogel and her time and the incredible story of her journey. So we will see you at the takeaway. Melanie, hello and welcome to Kindred. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi there. If you would please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. I'm Melanie and I'm proud to say that I'm the first woman who has walked to all three oceans of Canada following the Trans-Canada Trail, which is the longest recreational trail in the world. It was an incredible journey that not only allowed me to connect with the people of this beautiful country, but with the land and most importantly with nature. And it gave me incredible strong legs. <laughs> yeah, you must have some nice looking legs, girl. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Well, that is incredible. And thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we are one day off a happy anniversary. Tomorrow is your um, your your first year back from your incredible hike across Canada. So happy anniversary, a little bit early, but it's still, it's right on time. And we're just so grateful to have you here at this time. What a, what a special moment. I'm very happy to, to, uh, to talk on your podcast about this experience. Yeah. It... And even your introduction is like, wow, do we get any more kindred with that? Like, oh my gosh. So thank you for that <laughs> amazing soundbite. That was much appreciated. Um, so, but bef we, so before we get into this incredible hike you did, I wanted to start off uh, at the beginning of your, you know, hiking history, if there is one. Um, before you trekked across Canada, what hiking experience did you have? There is not much of a hiking experience. <laughs> I was a city girl who found joy in seeking adventure in both urban landscapes and in the natural world. And um, that could be, uh, you know, exploring at home or exploring abroad. Um, I immersed myself in different, I loved in immersing myself um, um, in different cultures and traditions. And it has always been my passion. I have always seen myself as an adventurer or like a low budget backpacker, not so much an avid hiker. So mm. I, uh, um, I traveled before, um, um, I, I did a backpacking journey through Asia 
Australia and New Zealand. And there I I used local trains, buses, hitchhiked, bought an old uh, motorbike um, to travel Vietnam or later on a van to uh, travel through uh, New Zealand. But I never really hiked except for occasional hikes um, that were part of that journey, but never my central central focus. No. So if I really look back um, and think about it, maybe my hike um, to the Annapurna base camp in Nepal, um, um, which was a 10-day track, was okay. probably my, my lengthiest continuous hike. And oh. beyond that, I usually engaged in shorter hikes, lasting a few days to a week to reach mountain peaks or just to explore, you know, local trails. Mm -hmm. I mean, a 10-day hike, that's, you know, a whole nine days longer than I've ever done. So uh, well done on that. That absolutely counts. And it sounds like, you know, you've got an adventurous heart. And um, so I'm wondering then what attracted you to take on the Trans-Canada Trail specifically, you know, which I just want to tell people that this trail is about 24,000 kilometers, which is, oh, let me just do the math. Just kidding. It's written down like roughly 15,000 miles. So tell us a bit about this trail and what drew you to it. The Trans-Canada Trail by now is actually 28,000 kilometers long. Okay. Well, it has, wow. Like when I began my journey in 2017, the trail covered about 24,000 kilometers. So you're right. And it has expanded by an additional 4,000 kilometers over the past six years. Wow. And it is still growing. And because there are still new trails connecting to it. Okay. And so this trail is, um, as I said before, it's the longest recreational multi-use trail network in the world. Um, there is really a strong emphasis on the multi-use as the trail offers a variety of different um, trail experiences like for example you have wooded trails that wind through forests then you have um, sections that are converted rail railrail trails um, for you know walking running cycling and then there's like um, the Trans-Canada Trail also has quite a lot of paved road sections that need to be shared with cars and waterways um, that are meant to be puddled. Hmm. So, and the, the trail um, runs actually from, from uh, to all three coasts of Canada. And I walked it from the Atlantic coast in Newfoundland to the Arctic coast in the Northwest Territories to the Pacific coast in British Columbia. Okay. I was going to actually ask you that, like, does this trail require other means of transportation? Like, did you, like, did you, was there waterways that you would need a kayak or some kind of like getting across, um, you know, waterways that you can't walk through? And, you know, so it sounds like you're hiking through all kinds of weather and geography. My gosh, what a landscape. I did. And um, um, these waterways, for example, of course, um, I did want I wanted to make it specifically a, a walking journey. So when there were waterways, I had to either take roads that were next to it or trails that were next to it. Okay. Or I, uh, for example, in Nova Scotia, it was an, an old rail bed that I chose to just walk around um, the Pradour Lake. Um, and yeah, so I always found my other ways of um, yeah, walking. Trails, right. then there were water trails in between. Yeah. 
And and could you know that beforehand, before you got to that part, or would you just discover that mid hike? Do you know what I mean? Did you have it all planned out before you left, or some of it you had to improvise? I did not have everything planned out, but um, the Trans Canada Trail has a very extensive map that actually explains mm -hmm. every trail sections that you're walking or paddling okay. in this case. Oh, and okay. uh, so I was prepared or could myself prepare and look what is next to the water trail okay. that I would then have to walk. Yeah. Right, okay. right. Well, that's a really good question. Um, so just to be clear, so if you're looking at a map of Canada, you know, so it starts on the east coast, like at the edge of the water, like on in Nova Scotia, and then all the way to British Columbia. Is that correct? Just to give people an idea. Uh, the trail starts in Cape Spear, which is the east um, easternmost point of Canada, and that is in Newfoundland. Oh, okay. And then it goes all the way up to the north to the Arctic Ocean in Taktiaktak, which is the Northwest Territories. And then it would be it would finish in Victoria, which is not quite the Pacific Ocean, but is you know yeah. yes okay no that it's makes the Western Coast <laughs> yeah and we have that out here not I'm saying but there's that we have like they call it like rails to trails so um, <laughs> those kind of things that makes it so that you know it you have some breaks I'm sure from the rugged sort of experience that you had so. Um, so now that we kind of have a, a general feel for the TCT, um, tell us a little bit about what, like, what compelled you to do this trek? Like, what inspired you to leave your home and hot water on de demand and leave your comfortable bed and set out for this epic solo journey? So um, I first learned about the Trans-Canada Trail after returning from my previous journey. And... Um, when I was ready to leave society again, which was about in May, June 2016, um, and I dreamt of new adventures, the thought of this trail, um, how we say, emerged from my sub subconscious. And I uh, mm. made this really very spontaneous decision to hike that trail um, that I had only read an article about in one of the many um, uh, visits uh, in the library in Vancouver when, yeah, when the pain of of not traveling or of wanting to go was so great that I like, you know, went through books and read other people's journeys. And um, so that's when I learned about this trail and yeah, it got stuck in my mind and then it appeared and I, I made the decision to walk it. And um, I think I did not have by that time a full understanding of the challenging or of the challenges of such an extended track. Right. So, so, so I had to learn, like it took me about 10 months to learn about um, not only the trail, but um, survival skills and, and um, you know, um, just um, the hiking experience of, um, or the experience of hiking such long trails where I would like watch um, YouTube videos about other long distance journeys and just to learn how people would cope and what they would bring, um, the situations that they dealt with. And part of my inspiration was actually Sarah McKee, 
who undertook an incredible journey from Siberia to Australia. She walked it too. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And her ex expedition was so inspiring that I wanted to, to, um, to do such an epic journey on my own. So wow. she was one of the main drivers to say, that is a woman. She did something like this. Why not me? And what's her name again? Sarah who? Marquis. Marquis. Sarah mm -hmm. Marquis. Okay, we will we'll, we'll, we will tag her in this episode. We'll put her uh, story in our show notes. But so, you know, Mel, it's really interesting. Like back to what Jen was asking, like how, I mean, you're talking a little bit about your prep time, right? And, and, and you know, you said like after 10 months, you sort of started to get the hang of some things, but how can you possibly really plan and prep and you know for a trip like this you just have to get out there and just do it and learn along the way i guess both um i prepared um i like i had to prepare uh, prepare for the equipment i stored a lot of equipment uh, with my friend and he would send it as i needed it like because my plan was to walk continuously through all the seasons so i would not go home in between because there would not be a home anymore Right. right. So, um, like I quit my apartment. I, uh, I, I really did live on the trail the moment I stepped on the trail. Yeah. So everything for that had to be prepared. Um, and, and then really also, I mean, I had quite a few initial fears about this journey and I read up on how to deal with this. I read up on, you know, how to deal with bear encounters or, you, you know, um, how to deal with weather, um, to be properly prepared um, for survival. I uh, um, I attended a survival course in Toronto. Um, I did a first aid wilderness course. So there is quite a few things you prepare for it. And then um, I, uh, yeah, and I looked at the different trail sections. I reached out to other adventurers all these kind of things and I, I i did watch a lot of youtube videos of other people who did similar journeys um maybe shorter but it doesn't matter i mean right you, you know so and yeah and for me to step on the trail um was driven by this urge that i wanted to have my freedom back that i once experienced in this past journey and um that was one of the main reasons why i actually wanted to go sure sarah mckee was one of the inspirations and there were other reasons but this was one of my most priorities i wanted to have my freedom back and and step out of society and i felt almost like the trail was a really good excuse because it was so long to be out there for a really long time yeah wow yeah so yeah yeah like almost mm -hmm. it's almost more culturally acceptable if you're doing something like that than rather than just go uh sleep in the woods for five years so yeah you had a you had a a, a, right. a purpose so yeah. It, it's yeah it, it seems like it's more yeah that makes sense to me and i i like what you were saying a lot about even if it's shorter all the same things have to happen you just repeated them maybe more times than other right. people. But, but I'm also curious, like, were there, was there ever, or what, was it a common experience for you to 
come across something, an experience or a challenge, whether it's weather or nature of some sort, where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to manage this? Or did you feel like you had everything you needed? No, absolutely. Um, We we all come to these points. And um, I'm, I'm not an expert. And when I stepped on the trail, I was absolutely no expert in hiking um, or with weather or, you know, um, I did not have this year, many or century long experience like some adventures have, um, where I just know I I did not. And and I met a lot of people along the trail that would give me advice. I uh, sometimes I just had to settle down when weather was really shitty and um, had to stay put just to wait it out. I th- mm-hmm. these were the, mo- the smartest moves I I thought I can take in these situations, or yeah. you know same things when you get lost and you you tell yourself okay sit down for a moment just because you're tired, um, you're hungry, you're impatient right now, nothing works, and then have a tea, look again, you know, and um, yes, this can be in areas where a lot of trees have fallen and uh, the trail signs are underneath the tree, underneath the fallen uh, So for yeah. a bit, you don't see the trail anymore, which is sometimes overgrown because it's not maintained. And, you know, things like this I encountered. I encountered severe weather, for example, um, hail that was like... Uh, as big as golf balls and that was Mm -hmm. a scary moment i did not see that coming i was Mm -hmm. really really scared when that happened Mm -hmm. um i was very lucky that in this moment i was in a campground being helped by a woman to pull a tarp over my ultralight tent that got ripped Mm -hmm. uh, in this event and i sat in this tent with that woman who couldn't even make it to her own trailer anymore and I, I wasn't sure how this event is going. Like, uh, oh will we be injured? Um, will we be safe? You know, so you oh. just have to go sometimes also with the flow of, of these, like, uncertainties. And, yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I think as I walked, um, it's almost, you know, as you go forward, you encounter so many things and you learn with it. And sometimes it's like easy learning and sometimes you learn it really the hard way. Right, right. Yeah. Well, this this makes me, I'm so interested too about what you were saying. You wanted to gain your freedom back at the at the mm-hmm. top of this, this part of the conversation and then combining that with your adventurer's heart. And then, so what you're, what you're saying right now is leading to me to my next question, which is, did your energy and focus shift at some point along the way from your previous experience of being human, right? Like after being out in the wilderness or the landscape for some time, did it awaken your primitive or mammalian senses in a new way at all? Um, so my energy and focus fluctuated and it shifted, but never truly away from being human because I was never too far from communities and I was never for a really, really long time alone. Okay. But I was alone 
And um, I had to deal with a lot of things alone. And I slept in the forest alone, um, even though I would meet people throughout the day. But then, um, yeah, there was always like some sort of human presence along the path, which the Trans-Canada Trail also advertises to say, you know, I think um, they say um, next community or settlements, whatever, um, houses are not more than 50 kilometers away from the trail sort of thing. Uh -huh. So there is human presence. And, but I still noticed a shift in my perspective and action. Like, I felt like that one of my greatest teachers was fear and discomfort. So fear mm -hmm. taught me to depend on my senses and instincts more fully. Right. And I sense. learned, I'm sorry. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and then, so I would like see and listen more attentively. And then mm -hmm. I felt that like reconnecting to these senses also revitalized my life. Like if you feel just more awake, more, more, yeah, more alive. More yeah. Life. Cause it's a, in a way it just brings you right to the present moment in such a way that you can't really think exactly. about anything else but the present moment, which is the gift. I mean, it's hard to stay in that in, in modern society. So. And that's, that's what we are supposed to embrace the present moment, not the past, not the future. It's really hard when you so, have all these things not to. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. and it's true. You are there. And I feel like in contrast, the city fosters a different type of alertness, like which is um, more centered uh, on avoiding people and bustling urban areas or the noise of high traffic. So when walking through cities, I experience this constant monotone background noise, like or what we call white noise, which I find um, now that I was in my journey and experienced so much silence, I find this white noise very unpleasant and i know this white noise gives a lot of people in cities this false sense of security mm -hmm. or like comfort right some people even say they, they need the noise to to fall asleep right. um, to not feel alone right um and so that was the point when i started to contemplate also in my journey of the true meaning of what human comfort and the notion of leaving your comfort zone actually means right. like the feeling of being comfortable is something we often prioritize and we tend to favor modern comfort over natural comfort like in nature for example i felt i felt more in touch with myself or with my humanity without feeling human superiority <laughs> and uh, a hard word to think about really and uh and I may have struggled with like pain and experienced hunger and sleepless nights, but I feel like these, these human experiences you have in society as well. And uh, being in nature, I feel you, you, you just lead a healthier lifestyle where you can just be without judgment, where fear and anxiety is allowed to pass. Mm. Um, which I never experienced in our society. Like when I lived in big cities, I almost like 
we are crabbling in big cities so much with mental illness, like right. discomfort, stress, anxieties, um, you know, fear of failure, um, not having enough self-esteem and um and it lingers. Yeah, right. While while in 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 nature I had sometimes really intense fear. I was almost frozen in fear when I was laying in my tent and I hear the crack in the woods. But the fear mm -hmm. is allowed to pass. Right. It's a moment of fear and it's passing and then you're good again and you can trust that you will be good again. And that right. is not the same thing I experience when I'm in society. That's so fascinating. So did you yeah. so then you you did find true comfort in nature yeah. right, in, that, in that moment? And did you did you expect any of these feelings? Did you expect this to happen? I didn't think about it, but in preparation of this of this podcast, I am because I haven't touched uh, my writings and photos for a long time because I started working. I went back and reread what I read, uh, what I wrote in the very beginning of my journey, and how I I just embraced almost in a very poetic form being out there in nature, how happy I was, how just all these very deep emotions of this inner peace and contentment. And I'm just, no matter how hard the struggle was, I was just, this is life. This is so beautiful. Mm. There was no regrets, no matter the blisters on my feet, there was never this, this thought of going home, never. So it sounds like something hugely shifted for you in that sense of in in almost like from what i would say this primitive li living but just the simplest living and 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 how your senses were awoken but i'm so fascinated by what you're saying comparing it to like living amongst people and lots of frenetic energy all the time like you can be terrified out in nature, but then it's gone and it really is gone. And for you, yep. that, yeah. not, right. not necessarily leave in a suburban sort of urban setting. I find that I, that's unexpected for you to explain that to us. And I find that really fascinating. So if, if you talk about this fear, it's also like, you know, the, the, the logical fear versus uh, that where you have to be cautious versus really the, the unlogical mind that runs wild when there's like the possibility of of danger, which may not even be there. Oh my gosh! It's wait, like, hold on. So pause on that one second. You just said that's fascinating because you just explained that it's it's really awakening the logical mind, not what is what you think might be. It's not your anxieties or your fears of the past or what might happen in the present, but it's actually this I've never thought of that logical fear, like what is happening in the moment that's very real. Well, the thing is like, we are often driven by what we've learned we should be fearful of right. versus what real fear is. Right? It's comfort, so, like you were saying, what actually is discomfort, right? It's, it's kind of in that same sort of vein too. Mm -hmm. and, well, and, and I, what, what came up for me when you were talking was that fear of like hearing a crack in the woods when you're lying in a tent it, I, what came to my brain was a primal fear like uh like i could die like for me i do not go out in deep woods nature because i'm terrified of grizzly bears like i have a primal fear 
And somebody said, what, are you afraid of being killed by a grizzly bear? I said, no, I'm afraid of living through a grizzly attack. Because to me, that kind of, that's a primal fear. Um, but you're so right. When it when then it passes, then you're good. And it's not the same as these anxieties that hum like the white noise underneath everything, which is what I also I... thought of when you were talking about that. And just very interesting that it might take a different kind of courage to to face those primal fears, but they don't debilitate us the, or cripple us the way these anxieties of living in society can. Oh, it's very I, fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I so agree. I, I've never thought about that, that anxiety and the constant hum. It is so yeah. like synonymous to me. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because one of my questions, which we're already talking about is, you know, literally for us, it's wholly unfamiliar um, this long distance trekking. And you would assume that I would think the, like Jen, you're saying the further you get away from civilization, the more afraid you might become, but your experience as a solo mm -hmm. hiker, it sounds different. So talk to us a little bit about where did you feel the most safe and where did you feel the most vulnerable and unsafe? Um, So <clears throat> feeling vulnerable in nature is quite profound. Um, and from my experience, uh, much of this fear often arises from the unfamiliarity with the situation or with sounds or with your environment. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that what I said already before is that um, that this fear is often not really based on logic. So, um, you know, um, I can hear, for example, a crack, a sound next to me, and I may, and I had this in the very beginning. I did not move. I was so scared. And in, in the end, it was probably just a squirrel. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just yeah. tell you. Right. Or you sound like bears. Um, yes. And exactly. sometimes these animals, or if you hear this huffing of the deer, well, yeah, um, right. and and I learned only over the course of my journey about this sound, and I did never thought that this would be the sound of a deer. Right. Um, so um, there is a lot of, as I say, like not knowing or unfamiliarity with with you know, um, with the natural world, just yeah. to say it really blunt, like, um, you know, um, I realized this in the very beginning when I stepped on the trail, how little do I know as I walked along about the trees and the birds and the animals and the tracks and the weather and everything. So, and then you start that you want to know, you want to know for your own safety, for your curiosity, for everything. And as you know more, fear starts to vanish and then you also start to prepare yourself differently right yes. and but there are certain fears that are a little bit more serious um for example i'm a woman and uh in this case i i believe um there's an ingrained fear of men that we that we women carry which which comes from this evolutionary instinct to be cautious as men historically had the potential of physically harm 
women, right? right? So or be a physical threat to women. And um, and while this is important to acknowledge, um, I always also said that I met countless good and supportive men in my journey. Yes, but in the end, it always takes one person or one harmful encounter to significantly like impact someone's life. Right. Not just mm-hmm. for me as a woman, but you know, for everyone. So, and so I like this fear of men. Um, I had discussed this with, many times in my journey also with other women. And I always got the, the head nod, you know, where women said, yeah, I, I, can, I see that. I see you. I, uh, I would feel the same. Yes. Which is very unfortunate for all the good men and supportive men that I met in my journey, and I do need to acknowledge them and and their kindness and their and their support, right? So, um, I do not want to just say this. No, bland. of course, absolutely. So, can you give us an example of one of those fearful moments? Uh, yeah, there. Um, there are a few moments when I specifically um, came closer to uh, um, communities where I did not feel comfortable because people will approach the tent. Um, they will. I had kids throwing stones at my tent for the fun of it, which really kind of it actually that that was in the very beginning, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I, I felt threatened by children because I didn't know will they come back will they like you know um mm-hmm. um then and towards men um I did have an encounter where someone said to me you know I me walking into the woods at sunset that he said um I will look for you later offering me a place to stay um saying you know you probably didn't have a man for a long time and I'm like I'm not interested. Like, right. no, you don't need to come. And he he persisted and persisted, and it scared me so much. And it was the whole situation of this encounter while the sun is setting, while walking into the woods, yes. not knowing my environment over there, and I was really scared, and I was really frustrated and angry about this encounter that he put me on this spot that I felt all these emotions, which was so unnecessary. Right. And often we probably brush this off and may say, oh, that was, you know, just a joke or just, you know, nothing serious. But it is serious because right. I'm alone as a woman walking into the dark, in, into the bush, and I want to feel safe. Absolutely. No, yeah. very serious. These kind of I, would, I would have been, yeah, I would have been scared. And then I would have been really pissed, actually. Yes, like, very much. Well. You, so like you have the right to do that. That's so, so rude. Yeah. And, well, and you, know, you know, Mel, like, let's then tell us, I want to sort of like, if you don't mind switching gears a little bit and tell it, because you told me a story of a bear encounter. And I just think like, I'd love to, I'd love to compare this terrifying moment that you had, which is real active fear. Talk to us about your your bear encounter and the different type of fear you felt there. I had this bear encounter in Alberta um, on the trail. Um, I know the trail. I just can't think of, of the name of it. But anyways, um, beautiful trail. And um, a grizzly mom and her cub walking towards us right on the trail. I see them. Um, I drop my um, hiking poles 
use my bear spray and I actually film it because from from the start, I did not feel afraid. That may sound naive, but sometimes you just have that feeling there are no threat. Yeah. They weren't. They they really weren't. Um, as they came closer, of course, Malo started barking. And I think he triggered the situation of his barking a little bit. And I followed through with everything I learned, you know, yelling loud and telling them to go. And um, but they continued just walking, walking their walk on that trail. Um, and they passed me and Malo. We stepped aside into the bush. Wow. Did I have a little bit of soft knees there? Yes. Did I feel really, truly threatened? No. Right. Um, and that is because I felt, I felt prepared. I felt protected from my dog. Um, I, there, I felt like there was no aggression going, coming from both. There was curiosity from the, from the, from the cup. And I wasn't quite sure if it's curiosity or if he was a little bit more eager to explore a little bit further, but um, all together, it was, it was not an aggressive situation. And I had this before with a wolf encounter on the Dempster Highway when I walked to the Arctic Ocean. Same thing. Yes, sure, my body was shaking, but right. the, the whole situation was very calm, rather curious, yeah. non-aggressive. And I followed through with everything I was prepared for, what I knew, what I had on my, um, uh, with my tools. Yeah. I don't have that necessarily with human encounters. They are much right. more unpredictable for me. Or yeah. the same thing as um, domesticated dogs. They are much mm -hmm. more unpredictable for me than any wildlife. Because mm -hmm. I feel often wild animals don't want to be bothered either. While I've been many times approached by very aggressive dogs along the trail sometimes up to three dogs running up to me and my dog attacking my dog and yeah. it it's it makes for really unpleasant situation and then i'm really high alerted the next time it happens right which That's is really not a good thing because right. i carry right. this fear i pass it on right. to my my dog which i That's actually right. try to avoid. Yeah, yeah so well and i so i just find like putting these two stories side by side, you would, as someone going out, like Jen saying, the biggest fear is like the bear or the wolf. And this is where, this is where we're trying to get partly to with this podcast is that actually nature, they play by the rules, right? Your instincts work with their instincts. You could, you could sense if you were in mm -hmm. a situation. And when this man says, I'm going to find you later. This is the real threat and the real terror. And I think so many of us think out there in the wilderness is the scariest place. And yet it's, it's what you were saying. It's the most comfortable. It's the most, it's like your senses and your, your animal sort of side to you, your, yourself like understands and can get back to that level, which I just find absolutely fascinating. Incredible. And like you're saying, Mel, is that it was, it's almost like you did the work of learning the rules of being in nature. And so you were prepared too. So that's, I think, why I'm afraid is because I haven't learned the rules there. And so the, the impression is I'm safer in society because I understand how those rules go a little bit more, but I find it fascinating that the human being and the domesticated dog were scarier because the, of the least, less predictable nature of their behavior. And I, I that, that is very, very interesting to me. I think that's right, Jen. I think like 
it's it's nature plays by rules they all it does yeah. wolf is always a wolf yeah. and the bear is always a wolf yeah. uh, but a human isn't right. we we don't play by the we, mm -hmm. we we do all kinds of unpredictable scary things because we want to or we all those things you know but yeah I, I, it feels like in nature you know if you if you find aggression in another animal for example i met a very aggressive deer who had just a newborn and she was very protective and she she really scared me like mm -hmm. and it's a deer right. and then you you feel like if you give the signs of you're like removing yourself from the occasion you're backing right. off you're trying to not be a threat to the animal then that you can calm that situation while with with humans that may not be the case you can yeah, probably true. like walk yourself away from the situation but you're not sure if that situation is finished right you know, um, yeah. right. so, sure no, no, I, the bear goes away, you know, the bear is gone, right? Yeah, the bear is not going to be hiding around the next corner. It's not doing right. this to you like yeah. hey, come could be later. If it's a mean bear can also happen. But <laughs> in the rarest cases, yes. <laughs> yeah. OK, fair, fair enough. Yes. Yep, so, that's fair. So, a, yeah. With this human, for example, um, because he insisted that he would come and look after me, um, um, that I, you know, I would move on now not knowing do i meet him again is he truly coming is he really you know and yeah. i started running and um i felt actually a um refuge in a home of two ladies um whom i told my story i was completely exhausted and i had such an adrenaline rush through all of this okay. um i could stay with them because um i i was too afraid to just go and then you know this is not my area it's the the area of of this yeah. particular human who knows the area right. i don't know it yeah. so yeah. so i was very happy when they when they hosted me for the night well mm -hmm. god bless yeah. those two women thank goodness yeah. mm -hmm. so i want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned your dog now mallow but i just would like to tell everyone you did not start out with a dog so mm -hmm. let's talk about how you found this sweet angel who's right next to you this beautiful uh yellow lab is that what malo's made of yeah basically so, but, yeah so so <laughs> this is to me like my dream come true that i'm out <laughs> in the wilderness and a dog is like i let's be best friends and like i can't imagine anything more magical than this please say it was magical there the the, the clouds parted, butterflies landed, birds chirped, and then there's this precious dog that says, I'm going to go on this journey with you, whether you like it or not. So tell me this, tell us this story of Malo. Yeah, so I had just completed my second long winter, long and cold winter in Manitoba. And mm -hmm. that's when I encountered Malo on the trail. Okay. Um, it was the end of March in 2019, and there was still snow on the ground, but the worst of the winter was basically over. And um, I was uh, accompanied by by Dave, who uh, walked with me for two days, and he and his wife hosted me back then. And as we walked the second day, Malo showed up um, out of nowhere and super eager to walk with us the 25 kilometers that day okay. and we're we kind of like it's kind of cute no? 
and he had no color, no identification. And um, we started to, to discuss what to do. And we decided to go back to the area and, and we knocked on the few houses um, um, that were in this area. There weren't too many houses in the area and nobody knew the dog. So what I agreed with them is that um, I would continue looking online. If, if maybe someone's making a post on um, local Facebook groups, they said they would look locally if someone is um, making a note, uh, putting a note um, at the board in, in the supermarket or, you know, so if, if, if they hear something, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very rural area. So, there's like not I, I assume people are knowing each other and if there's a dog missing then right they will alone. know right yeah so right. so we kept our eyes and ears open for about a month and then nobody came forward and so I after one month I stopped looking mostly because I had already formed a loving bond with this little guy who was like just it was just amazing um he would walk with me all they stay by my side. He wasn't on the leash. Um, I would put up my tent. He would sit next to the tent as I put it up, wait patiently oh. so he can crawl inside. Um, oh. And, and it. it was just like so heartwarming. And then, um, yeah, after one month, I brought him to the vet also because I kind of got worried because sometimes he ran into the bush and he came out bleeding because mm. I don't know what happened there. And I wasn't sure if he has any vaccines and uh, he wasn't neutered. And so I started, I also microchipped him and yeah. And then it was my dog and I called him Malo after the area where we met to have oh, a reference. Not quite because, you know, everything like it sounds all very romantic, to say okay and then i took this dog and he walked with me but i had a lot of worries and a lot of concerns and we went through a lot of challenges in the beginning because he was not a trained dog yeah um mm -hmm. he was a very free spirit i'm pulling a wagon um i'm exhausted um i'm taking um, someone on yes. and i'm not really sure about the logistics and can i you know um can I cope with it financially? Right. Uh, because I lived on a very tight budget. Mm -hmm. And what what happened, and that's a beautiful thing, is like um, I by then I had quite a social media following and it seemed like all my social media fans and friends um, adopted this dog with me. Um, the money I had to spend on the bed or for food or, you know, to get him the right gear, um, people would donate towards it. And um, so this was a huge relief for me. And then there was the other aspect aspect of um, what I what I hand, had to handle on my own was um, to train him. Ah. And I was um, worried about um, I was very worried about uh, potentially um, altering his personality or his character, which I didn't want because I love that he was such a free spirit just like me you yeah, know you and i want to sort of rain or, or sort of damper his free spirit and just the way that he came to you was such a great animal already yeah right i get that yeah so i only uh, did you know gave him like the basic command 
months just to keep him safe, which not always worked. But the rest I just left because I wanted that he is in his own hike in this journey. And what I need to mention in this regard is also that he kind of changed my entire journey quite a lot. Because by the time I met him, I was pretty burned out from this long winter. Um, I was really low energy. I run on a really low flame. And then he comes along, happy, Mm -hmm. tail wagging, have all this never stopping um, sense for, for, or spirit for exploration. And it gave me so much new energy and motivation. And it felt like he kind of ignited the spark of adventuring and exploration in me again yes you know so and that was a very beautiful part of of having him on my side yeah absolutely I mean I can so see that And, and and like you're saying okay yes it was kind of like I said was all beautiful and very romantic and then like you were saying though now you now you have him to think of. You have another person to think about, right? You have another being to think about. Now he's in your care and you're balancing that though, but he's a free spirit. He found you. He's on his own path and he's chosen. That dog absolutely said, I'm going with her. And he went with you, but the way that he already came to you. And I think that you're honoring that and you're seeing that like, okay, let's do a couple basic commands. Maybe they work. Maybe you, you know, wait for a second so you don't go after the bear or other you know domestic dogs type thing but i love that um but this is what being in relationship is right there are these things now you have to think about this other being but what the beautiful thing is what this dog has brought into your experience now how far into your journey were you when you came across malo and how long then did you have left Oh, you um, I met him in March 2019, okay. so that was about after two years. Okay, and then- okay. So you were two years in already. So that makes sense when you say he sort of rejuvenated a bit of, sort of mm-hmm. ignited that inspiration, that spark that you might have been feeling challenged. I mean, that's tiring after two years. And it was beautiful in the sense also that um, it felt like I gave him this life of adventure, what he seemed to so, so dearly need. Yeah. and he gave me a life, like he gave me companionship. Um, For the first two years, I would convince myself and others to say, I'm not lonely. I'm not lonely. lonely. I met so many people along the trail. I had so many encounters. Everything was so new and fresh and so much to discover and explore. I was not lonely. Then I met Malo after this long winter. I was low on energy. And I, I, I looked at him at some point as we were walking the trail and I thought to myself, maybe I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I was lonely a little bit because from then on, everything was just better. Like every lunch break, settling him in at night, waking up in the morning and cuddling with him, you know, like just. Or even walking through my day, seeing his tail up, wagging, 
singing songs about his tail. I know it sounds <laughs> funny, but that's what you do on a trail when nothing's going on every day. <laughs> I do that my own house. Forget the trail. This, this is, there's a lots of, every animal has a song. So God forbid anyone hears them, but yes, 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 yes. Well, not, I don't know if it's an interesting question. I have, I have a very curious question, which is, so then after doing three years of hiking with you, coming back to civilization, is he like, mom, are you kidding me? This is our life now? I mean, how was that transition for him when you just adventured all day, every day? And then that came to an end. Well, and I'm going to add on to that the same, the same question. Like, how was that for you? How was that for, for both of you? You know, like you're, it's so true, Jen, like, here your mind body and spirit were like in this space you're far you're both far away from the day-to-day -day suburban life and was there yeah was there like a re-entry process for you both i think so oh yeah absolutely yeah um and it wasn't easy <laughs> I um, and i'm still and i'm i i'm I'm still adjusting yeah. back into uh, getting settled and into um, um, yeah, into readjusting to our default world, yeah. as I call it. Um, and I think I, I love the thing um, that says a mind is a mind stretched by new experiences can never return to its old ways. Yeah. And this is exactly what I'm dealing with right now, which makes probably settling down a little bit harder. Right. You know, because you have experienced so much and and now you're settling into one specific place. You're not moving on anymore. And um, your nomadic lifestyle is finished for a while. Not forever, for a while. Mm -hmm. And and settling down, um, you're dealing with the same people over and over again right so yeah. and i didn't have to um, to deal with this in those five years because i was constantly moving on from everything and and it's kind of fine because while i was on this journey i was like towards the end i was like okay i'm done five years is enough i thought in the beginning it's two then i added the third ocean then COVID happened and now it's five and I'm done. I want to see my family. I I want to do other things in my life. I want to do some hobbies. I want to go back to sewing or, you know, go yeah. foraging in the woods and try mushrooms at home. And, uh, you know, simple things like have a kitchen, have a bathroom, have a nice cozy bed. Like and not always sleep in a tent or in other people's homes. And so there was this longing of settling, but then there's the challenge of settling. Yeah. And and to to tell your mind that you will be now here in this one place for a while um yeah. until probably my desire to go will become so strong again that i will move on yeah right so um, and seeing malo during this time um we both had to kind of heal from like bodily physically heal from our journey and seeing him sleep so much during the day is kind of it made me a bad conscious mm. he probably didn't mind but it made me a very bad conscious and i was like so used to be together with him 24 7 and right. now i had to go to work 
sometimes stayed longer, had other things to do. And we would be so often not together anymore. And that was quite a change for me. So I'm not quite sure. I can't ask him how it is for him. Yeah. But um, um, he does come very close to me when I'm at home. So I, I know he misses me. And I know when we go for walks, this eagerness never gets tired. He's just so... I walk with him and when I see him out there, I often think, no, we need to go again. When I see you out here, when I see myself with him out in nature, I feel like, I don't know what we're doing here, like with our life and, you know, um, but. Mirroring, he mirrors what you're feeling too, is it? I mean, you both are feeling that way and you're, you're thinking that the love of his love of walks and being out, he's like, okay, this is like, I had a dog like that. It was her best time of day. It's like where she was the most balanced she felt the most happy is when her and I were out walking. It's yeah. Truth. You know, that's about how I am. I'm the most happiest when I'm out walking, when I'm in nature. Yep. This is something that has like, this has changed so much for me because as I said, in the beginning, I'm I, like, I was always a city girl. Mm-hmm. And now I live in a small community, which I never, never even intended to live in because I cannot live in a big city anymore. I need nature at my doorstep. Yeah. I need to be able to go outside and be in nature. Yeah. Um, that has changed quite a lot for me. Also this, this appreciation and admiration for nature, because I experienced so much healing through nature. When I be- went back reading through my um, journals, um, how I talked in the beginning, how just in the first two weeks already of hiking, um, how certain physical pains vanished from my body. Right. Um, how how I experienced contentment on the trail that I never truly experienced in society. And I heard myself saying in this journey, I wish or that the, the contentment is, oh, I feel it is only skin deep and I wish it could settle into my bones that in moments like this, then, you know, when I cannot be in nature, when I cannot be in that happy place, that I can still be content. And I did not reach that state, not yet. And um, so this is something I cherish for me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a person who is very, who has become very rootless. So I'm not really sure for me where home is. Home Mm -hmm. is for me right now here in this community, or, you know, but then I also say I go home to vis- visit my family in Germany. Um, so there is like the, the sense of home, homecoming or um, is it, it becomes very blurry. Um, mm-hmm. Between I said the road is my home. When I was on the trail, I said the trail is my home. And and when I really sometimes think about it, I feel really the best place of really considering home is for me now nature. I can rest there. I feel rejuvenated. I feel at peace with my mind and with my body. I feel the happiest of myself. I can just be no judgment. And, and yeah, it's just, it's a happy place. It's the safe place. It's a, it's a place where I can be the best of myself, of my true self. And and that has changed for me because I never thought I would ever say that. Well, I think, you know, I think 
many more of us, um, whether that's true for everyone, I, I don't know. I, I think it's true for many. I don't think it's true for all people. And yet I do think though, what I love so much about what you've just said is it's being out where we, our species was born out where you were. Our species was born to be deeply interconnected with the landscape and the environments and the ecosystems that we work in. And I think um, not everyone needs to walk across Canada to feel that. And yet what you've experienced is, is again, even if you do that for an hour a day or an hour a week or whatever it is, it is, I think, innate in our humanness to, and you had said earlier, you didn't expect any of that. You were like, I want to go, I want to be out. I want to do this. And these things that you've kind of come across and connected to were unexpected. Um, and yet I think very, very basic human feelings and experiences you're having. And I just want to end with asking you this last question. You know, I feel like we're very clear on why this conversation is really important. And for me, this is why. But for you, why, why did, why was this a conversation that you wanted to have? Why, how, how, why is this important for you? I think it's important for me because I see how I felt it myself before I left and I see it clearly how disconnected are we as we humans are from nature. Um, I feel or I want people to understand the importance of our relationship with nature because this connection stems everything we seek, like happiness, self-care, radical acceptance, the ability to, to learn how to pause, to slow down, or to embrace change, to not be afraid of this, because that's how we evolve. And, um, and because nature sets so many things in perspective, like we have become so comfortable to to live in these very sterile gray and uh, just very monotone environments and i just um i want people probably to understand that there's more to this that there's like true happiness is not found in consumerism and in small pages that we created to find a little bit of relaxation time. But we need to really go back to nature and to understand that we are part of all of this, that everything is interconnected, that that there's, I don't know, so much contentment awaiting, awaiting us out there. Right. I, I don't know how to say this best. It's, um, I, I think it's also important because I be, because we are so uh, disconnected from nature, we are also dis destroying nature at such a fast um, pace. Yes. And, and this why, that's why I feel people really need to understand the, the how good nature is to, 
for us by going there. And I'm not saying going there by for entertainment, like taking your ATV to cruise through it or, you know, things like this. No, I mean, go in nature, walk, sit with it, understand it, embrace it, see what's there, explore it. And then when you understand nature, protect it. Because once you connect with nature, you will automatically want to protect it because there's no other way. There's just no other way. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's so beautifully said. We understand exactly what you're saying and you're explaining it perfectly. And I think that's what we here are trying to do is just ignite a little inspiration to reconnect to nature. What we find out about ourselves, what we find out about the connection we can have to the natural world. And then it's so true. Then what you love, you want to protect. And I think exactly what you call home, you want to protect, right? Absolutely. And it's like your people, right? The trees, the rivers, the weather, they're Mm -hmm. all these beings in your life. And then you have this kindred spirit, Malo, that came to you. And I think, you know, your experience is just so it's almost overwhelming how inspiring it is. And I, and I, and I'm, I'm so grateful to you for talking to us today and sharing this experience and um, the effort in retelling your story. And I really appreciate it. Um, It was just incredible. There's so much to think about again, like you've bent my brain a bit with some of these concepts that you experienced. And uh, I really want to, I want to dig deeper into some of them. And I think um, they're just exactly um, what we believe, even if we haven't experienced what you've experienced, I know what you're saying to be true. So. But everyone can like, you know, I mean, I experienced these, everything that I experienced was a day by day experience. We don't need to have this row of days to experience all of this. We can just go out on a weekend and experience all of that. Mm -hmm, We can go out on an afternoon and experience everything that I explained to you. I don't think you need to be days and days and days in nature to experience all of this. You just have to go there with an open mind and you have to go there. I'm just putting so much emphasis on the, on the, on the um, act of walking because uh, we are so fast paced all the time that we don't see anymore. We don't listen anymore, you know, so we don't smell anymore. We're just like, we're there for this quick, I don't know, um, excitement maybe, or to just see something and we have a goal, but we don't see along the way. We don't experience along the way because everything goes so fast. We have no time anymore. And I think this becomes important. It, it becomes important for people to slow down. And walking gives people the chance to slow down and actually experience the world around them. That's exactly right. We're just all whizzing around, you know, trying to get to A to B. Always running. That's the, always running. Well, Mel, thank you again so much for joining us. What an incredible conversation. Um, thank you, Malo, for your uh, canine support, not only through... Uh, your beautiful hike, but also through this conversation. He is such a dear, sweet face. My goodness. I mean, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. I was a tiny bit nervous, but I hope I think I got some points across. (laughs) Oh, you are wonderful. So yes, thank you. I would love to keep in touch about, please let us know your next 
um, adventure and when that's where and when. And, you know, I know you're you're somewhat active on Instagram. We will we will connect you through links in our show notes on our website. But uh, best of luck to you. I hope you have a lovely walk today with Malo if you get out. Happy anniversary. Uh, what an incredible thing. So thank you so much and please take care. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to the takeaway for Mel Vogel. Um, oh gosh, wow. Uh, like I said in the intro, I feel like this conversation, um, wow, she, her insight and her ability to, to know and see, remember just her experience um, on, on such a deep level. I, I just have never heard anyone talk about doing such an epic journey like this, this the uh, Trans-Canada Trail that she did and just um, and with, with such a, awareness. I, I felt like, I don't know if she agrees with that, but um, I thought it was really incredible where she talked about instinctual fear and like I'll call it instinctual fear in contrast to anxiety fear. Like she was talking about how she felt in like urban and sort of, sort of suburban and being around a lot of people. And, you know, you would kind of, I would think as you get further away from quote unquote civilization. Um, and she said she was never too far, far, like the trail there's, there's people around, right? She had access to people in, uh, I, I guess just enough, but still my point is like, I kind of would think you'd get more, I feel like I would, I get more fearful and exactly. she right. The opposite. And she's saying, right. how, um, I loved her story of when she came across the grizzly bear with her babies, the mama bear with her babies and that instinctual fear she had, but actually what it was, she was tapping into if it was a safe or unsafe situation. She could tell instinctually that the, it was fine. It was mm -hmm. all good. And she did things to sort of, you know. Right. But she wasn't terrified. Yeah. Right. She said she yeah. wasn't terrified. And it, yeah. like when the bear passed and she knew it was fine, it was all done. Right. The fear was, if there was sort of fear there, a natural, healthy sort of a fear of like, okay, let's be aware here. Um, and then her story of coming across that horrible man who was like, yeah. I'm gonna find you later. And that fear doesn't go away because you don't know if he's telling the truth or not. He's just totally messing with you. I mean- That was so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that whole thing, like you said at the beginning, I would just assume the further away from civilization you get, the more scary it is because you're out in the wilds and you don't know what to expect. But what she was saying was that's actually not true. And she did a ton of research. Like she was prepared for this too. And like, I think one of the points that you wanted to bring up was that, that whole thing about, um, about uh, blanking. Um, oh, oh, about um, when uh, that nature plays by the rules. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which it makes complete sense. And, you know, thank goodness that she had that sort of in her tool bag going into this, because I think otherwise, I think it, that that long, 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 long journey, years long journey would be pretty nerve wracking. So it was actually kind of cool to hear. Oh, no, this was actually very peaceful for her yeah. for the most right. part. Right. Yeah. You just 
just amazing. And then, you know, of course we joked about how the sound of a squirrel sounds like a bear, right? But it just right. is that like, that instinctual fear that actually comes and it always plays out to the other end. And of course there are, there are things where people get into trouble. Yes, there are bear attacks. There are, she was talking about the deer. Deer right. can be incredibly uh, protective. There, there's a lot of different things that can happen. And yet I just thought it was the first time it really hit me like you're saying, like nature plays by rules, right? Yeah. It, it's generally, if you under, if you get to know it, you you kind of understand it. it there are rules that it. Mm -hmm. That's why it works so beautifully. Right. And that's why I feel like humans are such a dangerous uh, species in a lot of ways because we don't play by rules. We we exactly. all have our own right. sort of. Um, intention and, right. and comfort with uh not playing by rules and to the degree of you know all the way to like sociopathy and you know psychopath psych psychopathy like yeah or if someone says i'm gonna come back for you they might be or they might be just be doing that to mess with you and to be making you more afraid so it's just but wow. you don't yeah it right. was just really really one of those moments like we have so many times in these podcasts where your brain warps a little it's like whoa i never really thought of it like that before yeah. and what a cool insight into that um experience yeah. yeah yeah and i i really i i just i so appreciated her i don't know if it was an effort but she really spent time and she dug into this experience uh with us and just sort of what I took away was unexpected, absolutely. And there were so many beautiful moments that she had on the trail. And just the story of meeting Malo is just, to me, that's like the dream. You wanna be out in the wilderness. And then just what she was talking about too, just that deep connection that she felt when they met and they decided, she was like, okay, we are paired and you're my soul, you're a soulmate. And um, it was just really, really beautiful. Especially but, the timing of it too, like she was kind of feeling oh. low and she had been a little bit, she had lost some of her mojo, I think, and th and that sort of re-ignited um, that with her to do this after she met him, which was so, so cool, the timing of that, yeah. It was beautiful, it really was, because I think she had been on the trail for a couple of years at that point. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I just, I, I loved, there, there are so... There are so many takeaways and I'm really, really curious about what other people's takeaways, what really hit them. I would love to hear from you. Um, please contact us uh, via our website, thekindredpodcast.co. You can email us. Um, I, I would love to hear from people on their perspective of this and just sort of the experience and what they thought going into it would be and then what they've taken away. Um, yeah, yeah we haven't actually said that in a while. Like. Yeah. Like we would love to hear just your, yeah, your experience of it and what, yeah, what hit you about it and what you loved and what was surprising. That's just very fun to hear what other people have to th say about it. So, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. We'd love to hear. And, um, uh, and again, just thank you, um, so much to to melanie for sharing this epic story and just the fact that she was the first woman to do this is so mm -hmm. inspiring in the sense of a woman specifically taking this on and her brave the, the courage and just um and just her dedication to it and what she brought took out of it and what she brought off the trail was just you know 
the manifestation of Malo and everything else was just absolutely incredible to hear. Um, and of course, you know, you can find uh, show notes and guest links t- through our website, like uh, kindredpodcast.co again, and you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Um, we are a small, as Kat always says, our our producer, we're a small but mighty team. Um, <laughs> we could definitely use the support and um, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook um, at the Kindred Pod. And again, uh, what a beautiful conversation and one that I will I will cherish and and listen back to again. There's I in editing this. Um, I, I got even more out of it the second time around, which was great. So please share this episode um, for all your hikers, campers, outdoorsy people. I think they're going to really love it. Um, anyone who's inspired to do this kind of this kind of hike, I think it will give an incredible perspective. So thank you so much to everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you are well and lots of love. Kindred is hosted by me and my sister, Jen. Produced by Kat Gaddy and myself. Sound production and editing by Dan Cooper. Original music by Ellie Grace. And our Kindred artwork was created by Lindsay Coffin. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to contact us through our website at kindredpodcast.co, where you can also find details about Kindred Plus, our subscription service, as well as links to our social media accounts and show notes.